0: Welcome to the Cabin Cast. Your Getaway Primer.
1: Hi, Eric. Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you?
2: Good. You must be just like riding high. It's been Halloween yep. with little kids at your house. <laughs> yeah. You're about to hit your hunting season.
1: Yeah, yeah, I actually started it already. So, so. I, yeah, I just spent a week at a four days at a cabin with a bunch of buddies, seven of us, in a small little cabin uh, over in uh, western Wisconsin, and had a really good time too. The guys got nice bucks, and it's public land hunting, so it's almost it's a more of a chess match than even yeah. playing against the deer because you're also playing against hum- other humans that would be hunting in the spots and there's no limit to where they can go. Your hunt can get messed up. The old way of thinking was you just have to go deep enough and far enough away from the access points to get to an area where the deer are unbothered. And like, no, nobody's going to go back a mile and a half up and down the hills and through the mud and, and stuff. And if you get back far enough, that's usually left alone. Well, now there's two types of hunters. There's all the guys who think if I just go far enough back, you'll, no one will bother you. So like there's tons of guys back there and then there's the guys who physically can't get far enough back. So they stay close. So now you're like, okay, I got to find somewhere in the middle, but you're also hunting deer sign. So you can't just go, Oh, I'll just go where there's no deer and then right. there'll be great hunting there. So it's this, it's this cat and mouse game where you're playing against other people. And like one time, it, and also, the, the game warden is out there. Not that you're playing cat and mouse with him. He, you know, they have all these these activities. One time at the, uh, I was hunting. I get there in the morning and I hung up scent, like a scent thing. And then I looked down and somebody had thrown a salt block out, which is illegal in um, in public land. So then I hunted, and then the night, like later that day, a game warden was just checking licenses and asking questions about baiting, which is illegal in that county because they're trying to keep this CWD down. He's like, have you seen any sign of this? And I was like, well, actually, I, you know, found a salt block. And it's like, and I said, I probably shouldn't have hunted there, should I? And he's like, no, because if they, if someone walked up on me and wanted to check my license, and then even saw a salt block down there, it, it, could be construed as me hunting over it, even though it wasn't mine. And how oh, do wow. you, how do you prove a negative? So I actually sent him my Onyx, which is a uh, like mapping system tag, and I had to pull my stand down and go find a different spot. When I hung it at the new spot. I hang up the stand, I climb up in the tree and I hadn't even got an arrow in my bow, which on a compound bow, you can rest your arrow. Like you don't have to, it's not like Robin Hood where you draw it out of a quiver and shoot (laughs) it. Like you can put your arrow in your bow and then your bow is hanging off like a arm that you attach to the tree. And I hadn't even got my arrow in my bow when a buck ran underneath me and the buck runs underneath me is a smaller buck, like maybe a two and a half year old. And usually I try to wait till they're three and a half or older. And he runs over to my left, goes down a hill. 30 seconds later, I hear this tromping and thrashing. Like, oh, here he comes back. And a kid, like, walks over the hill in a just bright blue sweatshirt and is just stomping around the woods.
2: Oh, gosh. And I
1: finally had to, like, go, "Mm -mm, (laughs) "Mm -mm, hello. (laughs) And he looked up at me and kind of jumped and then slowly backed away. I mean, nobody wants to mess up somebody else's hunt, but there's, you know, where we hunt, there's a couple thousand acres of public land so if you want to scout and figure out good places to go, you kind of try to stay away from where people have their cars parked, but I got dropped off. So there was like no signifier that I was back in the woods. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's interesting. It makes it, you know, interesting and fun where private land is you can kind of just try and map the deer out. And unless someone's trespassing, you don't usually have problems.
2: Yep. You know where everybody is. And I know a lot of people this time of year when you're hiking or if you're riding your horse, any kind of thing, you have to really think about where the hunters are going to be yep. and where your blaze orange. And yeah. Yeah. Lots to think about, lots of fun for all the people that do love to hunt and the people that don't like to hunt like me. Yeah. Um, we, I get excited for it though, because I do enjoy venison. Yes. And so, you know, the other day my husband got a doe and, as he was preparing it to go to the butcher shop, he cut the back straps yeah. off and oh, we dear. ate those delicious. I mean, it was shot that day and we had them for dinner on
1: the grill. Yeah, yeah it
2: was, it was amazing. So I love that part of it. I love it. Something that he and my sons do together and bring their friends along. And you know, that sense of community Yep, is, is really a cool thing. So good luck on your hunts.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I yeah. actually cooked um, Hungarian goulash, but like with big chunks of venison, like steak or, or roast. Um, cut up because when you say goulash in America, everyone thinks of like the school goulash, where yeah. it's just ground beef with noodles. But uh, the Hungarian goulash is like a true Hungarian goulash with lots of paprika, hot paprika, onions, red peppers. And then you, it, you know, the crock pot is just great for hunting camp. You throw it in at lunchtime and then everybody arrives at dinner cold and hungry. And usually gets it sounds
2: awesome. So. I know. I think there's so many people that just quickly say they do not like venison, yeah. even if they like you know beef and yeah. other red meats. And I think some of it is because maybe they grew up in a house where it wasn't cooked and prepared well.
1: Right. Yes, it's so, easy to dry out. It's yes. really, it's something that is delicious if prepared right, but you can definitely mess it up. Or, and a lot of the preparation goes into how you take care of the animal um, right away. You don't leave it outside if it's too warm. You just get it processed and put on ice and, and cooled off right away. Yeah, oh, so there's really lots
2: helps. of lots of tricks these days and ways oh. to learn about how to, you know, there's great cookbooks, there's great videos, all kinds of things. So, I encourage everybody who has doesn't think they like it to
1: find somebody that actually cooks it well.
2: Yes. Well, and there's places like there's a restaurant up in Manitowish Waters called Smokies and they do a game night dinner. Yeah. And they do different courses with wine pairings and so it's a great way to try new things.
1: Our last episode, um, we talked about all the critters like right, damaging <laughs> homes, right? We had uh, woodpeckers that were attacking the the office here. Hopefully that's stopped.
2: It, it has stopped. So I posted a picture on Instagram of my dad putting up the little yeah. decorations they look like, yeah. and it has worked. Oh, good. Yeah.
1: Good. And then I had a porcupine that was eating my deck. This article caught my eye because it's kind of a next level type of thing. <laughs> California homeowners demand action after bear breaks into cabin and sets fire.
2: Oh, boy. That's not what I thought you were going to say. Oh yeah.
1: Arsonist bears now. We have. <laughs> so uh, Tulare County, California homeowners at a camp in California said they've had it with the bears. In the past couple months, they've been breaking into cabins and one bear is blamed for burning down a cabin. Bears have become a so- common sight at Camp Nelson, roughly 45 miles north of Porterville. Just over two weeks ago, a bear broke into a cabin owned by Carmen Morales board. The bear found a food cabinet and tossed out the canned food. I guess they flew across the kitchen and hit a very narrow kitchen, hit the stovetop, and hit the burner. The burner knob was able to light the stove that way. The cabin burned to the ground. There's nothing left. It's gone. The chimney's left. That's all. The California department said bears are getting ready for winter. They're going through physical changes, and they're hungry. Bears need to eat 25,000 calories a day. If they become accustomed to food and garbage, there's no turning back. They want that food because it offers a huge amount of calories with the least amount of work. Tina says bears have a tremendous sense of smell, seven times more powerful than a bloodhound. Cabin owners have boarded up windows to keep the bears out, and they want the CDFW to take action. Trap the bears and move them out because they're getting very bold. When you relocate a bear that's breaking into a cabin or doing some other unnatural behavior, you're simply relocating that bear to another community where it's going to cause the same problem. They do have a team resolve. Tyra says CFW does have a team assigned to resolve human wildlife conflict. Homeowners in Camp Nelson say they want someone to listen to their concerns and find a solution. So that's kind of like like NIMBY, not in my backyard, right? Have you heard that saying before? Yeah. It's like NIMBY bear. It's like take the bear, put him in someone else's neighborhood, (laughs) (laughs) not mine. Yeah. And if you, you know, they don't want the bear to be hurt, but they also realize, I mean, they're burning down cabins.
2: Well, and the the thought at the end of the article, when it's like, you can schedule a, a therapy session to talk about what's right. going on with you and your <laughs> you're, critters.
1: You're <laughs> we'll get you and the bear together at a counseling session. We'll
2: get a resolution here. For as sure. As long as both sides agree. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good luck finding neighborhoods are like, yeah, send us the bears that are accustomed to breaking into cabins and burning houses down. We'll take them. Right. (laughs) It's like a bear rehabilitation zone.
2: Well, and it is a thing, I think, that everybody in a neighborhood or, you know, we don't really have a neighborhood here, but we have a road, we have the Lake Association, we have, that's kind of a neighborhood and everybody kind of has a responsibility to not leave their trash on the road and not have their bird feeders and the different things that are easy to find out what they recommend Yeah, to and keep the bears away.
1: Yeah, for any new listeners, I, we've told the story a number of times, but I had a bear that had that I had garbage in the back, sealed up in the back of my truck, and a family of bears, a mother and three cubs that were kind of patrolling the neighborhood climbed up, scratched my truck up, ripped my tonneau cover open, and shredded my garbage. And since then, now we have to keep the garbage in the garage until I actually bring it in to our dumpster at the store because we, we had garbage service and it was nice, but the bears were constantly tipping it over and just tossing it all over my front yard. And even with, uh, they'll rip off bungee straps and, you know, we've tried a bunch of things. So besides building like a fortress around right at the, the yeah. front by your mailbox, you have to be creative.
2: And I know my parents, I think some of the people in bigger bear communities than even we are have Locking ones yeah. somehow that have some special lock on them. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of thought we have to put in to get along with our bear neighbors. Right. For sure. <laughs> I brought in an article from one of my favorite magazines. Um, I can remember as a little girl, I could not wait for my mom's country living magazine to come yeah. in the mailbox. I would just devour it. And I still feel the same way. It's, it's so well written. It's so interesting and inspiring. Um, and it's definitely one of my favorites. A lot of magazines these days seem to be so full of advertising. Yeah. Like you think you're reading an article and then you're like, oh, wait, they just want you to come visit North Carolina, you right. know, but th- this one is full of great, great articles. And it was really exciting. You know, as a blogger, I, um, I've been in a couple of magazines and then so many of my friends have been in them. So I'm like, oh, look, this is my friend yeah. and some friends of, um, your shop, Eric and yeah. my shop here, roughing it in style and White Arrow's home. Was in this last issue, October to November of 2023. So we are so excited for Pine Cove Cabin and for Megan and Gabe Marsh uh, that their beautiful cabin here in Minocqua was featured. It's a it's a gorgeous one. We'll put some pictures on Instagram and then if people are able to still grab the cof- copy or look online, but here's a, just a little um, bit of the write up and it brings up a conversation topic I thought would be fun to talk about, Eric. When Megan and Gabe Marsh told their real estate agent they wanted to put in an offer on the 1929 Lakeside Cabin they had just toured, he had one question for the couple. Are you sure? It was the dead of winter in the Northwoods of Wisconsin, and the boarded-up home, frosty and dark due to lack of heat and electricity, sure wasn't looking or feeling its best. Plus, there was the little matter of the crumbling foundation. It just had so much historic character from the 1920s, and shockingly, someone hadn't ruined it, Megan says, of the almost all-original cabin perched on the 1.25 wooded acres in the little town of Manaqua. We were like, oh, if we let this go, we're going to kick ourselves forever. But before the marsh's new home away from home could become the bucolic escape they had been dreaming of, An extensive renovation was required. In addition to lifting the cabin off its decaying foundation and lowering it onto a new full basement, the couple remodeled the kitchen and updated all the plumbing and electrical. What stayed the same, however, was the cabin's old interior windows, maple and pine floors, and Douglas fir walls. We love that so much of the original charm was able to be salvaged, Megan says. It all adds to the experience, and it just wouldn't be the same with windows and floors that don't remind you of their age on a daily basis. And she has another quote. Every single thing inside these walls holds some special meaning, serves a purpose, or tells a story from our lives. And I just thought it was interesting to think about the two parts of a lot of people's cabin stories. There's finding a cabin that needs a lot of work. Yep. So you have to worry about the foundation, the plumbing, the electrical, the appearance of the outside, and then also think about how to make the inside a special place to be. Right, right. So, I mean, you run into that a lot, I think, in your line of work, too, about how do you make it a fully wonderful home?
1: For sure. And we we actually just changed, like we have new business cards, and we kind of worked up a new motto. Um, that's, It's crafting the story of your home. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're – you're telling a story just like you would in a narrative in your home of when you walk in the entrance way, what kind of tone are you setting? Uh, what do the rooms tell you about each thing? What are you kind of guiding and directing people to do? Do you have games out? Do you have books out? Is it quiet? Is it more musical and lively like a bar in the basement? Is it a party bar there? You know, is a pool table, a ping pong table, you know, you're crafting a story of the way you want your home and the narrative of how you live to be kind of laid out. And it, uh, yeah, it, it just makes for a much more cohesive feeling. If, if you have a plan in mind of like, what do I want the people to do? <laughs> what do I want the people to do? How do I want the people to feel? And putting all those things together can really, really make for a special place.
2: And I think for um, Gabe and Megan, too, they enjoy staying at the home themselves and it's rentable. Yes. So we can put a link to to. Um, everybody to follow their, their beautiful Instagram and you can have an opportunity to stay there too and get that feeling. So they put that thought into kind of what you were saying, how will people use it? And then that extra thought of how does our family want to use it? Right. So um, it's just, it's an interesting thing too, that they saw that, that character and appreciated that it was still there, that it hadn't been stripped away already I think the timing that they had to was great yeah. because uh, when they found their cabin is so different than it is now. Right. I mean, you can barely f- find anything anymore. Yep. Even the ones that are just, people are taking them down or fixing them up fast to to rent them out. Yep. Um, I mean, I've worked with so many clients lately that are from States away, yep. like California, New York, and they just wanted a rental here and they just want it to sleep. A lot of people and be functional and then let it make some money for them. And that's kind of a totally different experience than what.
1: Right. What we're it, used to doing.
2: Yeah. What they've done um, with this cabin too, to really make it homey. The decor shows that character too of that time. Yes. So um, I think it's, it's kind of funny in some ways to think about being able to take a cabin and give it that historic feel. And then there's fun ways to think about making it more modern too. So I I wish you could almost have a couple cabins in one.
0: Right.
1: For sure.
2: (laughs) When you love so many different decor styles. Yep. You can and some
1: people do the different rooms, but I, that is a more, that's like a book of short stories, which I I actually have a hard time reading because you're just constantly switching ideas like, Oh, five pages is a story. And then another story and another, it's hard for me to enjoy and really dive in. Yeah. That's a little bit of what I feel when people do themed, like you can do themed rooms around a style mm-hmm. and have a different theme that kind of fits in. And that's more like, like a deck of cards or something where you have matching suits right. and kind of all goes in. But the ones that are like, okay, we're going to do nautical in this room and yeah. then super rustic. And then this is the Western room and <laughs> then this, and like people do that. I'm sure yeah. it like works and it's kind of cool and okay. I think a lot of hotels will do different themes yeah. like that. But it's hard to make it feel like a cohesive home that works right. really well for rentals.
2: Yeah. Or a basement. You know, you can kind of shift to that. I know even a lot of people that love the Northwoods, this is their happy place. So back home, they've made their family room in the basement or their office kind of a Northwoods. Oh, feel. sure. No, and that's and super then that cool. That works. That's out like well. keeping
1: a piece, a little piece of your special place right? in your home. That totally works.
2: And then if you sit in that space and you listen to the cabin cast, then it's complete. You can really yeah, for feel sure. like you're up yeah, north. Yeah. And speaking of getting that feeling, several years ago, there's a term that became really popular, and you know it was trending a lot. But I don't think it will ever, ever go away. And that's Huga. So it's spelled H-Y-G-G-E. So when I first looked at it, I would always say hygie. I hope my home and my life has a lot of Higi, but it's Huga.
1: Yeah, I thought it was Higgy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So, um, however you say it, it doesn't really matter because it's all about, you know, the feeling. So, it's the Danish art of living well. And I have a pretty little book called The Book of Huga. It's by Louisa Thompson Brits. And I just thought I'd read a little bit of the definition of Huga and then her um note from the author because it's really on my mind right now kind of you know eric we were talking before we started recording about how busy we have been right and the ways that we're busy for for me at least and i think it is the same for you it's it's all mostly good things for sure you know it's some family things it's work balance you know both being small business owners we kind of hold a lot of cards in our hands of things that we need to do and you know we we personally just sold a home that we had to fit in moving out of in the last few weeks. Um, we go to my son's football games every weekend. So it's all really good stuff. But I'm craving the winter for the downtime. And I'm going to really work at getting that to stay. Um, so if some of you are craving that too, this definition um, and and thoughts can help you kind of put some words to how you're feeling. Huga is a quality of presence and an experience of belonging and togetherness. It is a feeling of being warm, safe, comforted, and sheltered. Huga is an experience of selfhood and communion with people and places that anchors and confirms us. It gives us courage and consolation. To huga is to invite intimacy and connection. It's a feeling of engagement and relatedness, of belonging to the moment and to each other. Huga is a sense of abundance and contentment. Huga is about being, not having. And the note from the author Huga is a feeling that most of us know but can't quite define. To give a name to an experience is to pay attention to it. Huga can describe feelings that are already familiar to you. It is there in the rhythm of your daily life, in your habits, routines, and rituals. You don't need Danish recipes or the secrets of a Scandinavian lifestyle to learn how to huga. It can be found in asking yourself where you feel most at home. What are the activities and customs that anchor you? Who makes you feel at ease? What is it that contributes most to your sense of well-being? What do you do to unwind? What do you reach for to create comfort? For me, Huga exists in moments of contentment, particularly at the beginning and end of the day. We Huga first thing in the morning when we light a candle at the breakfast table, make coffee, pancakes, and packed lunches. And when we return home to each other to share a cup of tea or a glass of wine, to sit around the kitchen table together and enjoy our evening meal, I invite Huga by lighting fires almost every day, inside or out, by spending time with people I love and enjoying time alone. Huga is held in the ritual of bedtime stories that I have read for the past 23 years, in birthday celebrations and the enchantment of Christmas Eve. I Huga when I make risotto, make tea, or read in bed. I find it at the heart of the dance floor when I walk through our local town, camp at small festivals, or meet a friend for coffee. It lives in my father's study, in my mother's garden, around the table in my aunt's quiet apartment, on the veranda under a wide sky, and my husband's family. Hooga arrives when all four children come home and we sit by a fire under the oak trees in the garden, play cards, beach comb, dance in the kitchen, or curl up under blankets to watch a film together. I hope my book translates huga from a very Danish word to the universal language that it is, and that you will discover the huga that already exists in your life and become attuned to its presence. Doesn't that just make you feel good?
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
2: And I think probably for you, in some ways, even deer camp is hugaing a little bit because you don't have the pressures of other things in your day. Right. You're around the community of great friends, yep. or your dad and brother, or and your Eating great food, you come in like you talked about your, you know, sure. your goulash coming in and having that warm meal waiting for you. Yes. I mean, that's a lot of it.
1: Yeah. And disconnecting from some of the things in life. I think phones have probably made that a lot harder because yeah. you're still getting all the connection where deer camp used to be. Like you would go up for a few weeks and you'd write letters back home and receive letters. <laughs> but I was just laughing about, they were talking about lighting fires. Which is part of HugA, and I'm just like that bear was probably just practicing HugA in that person's house, and that's (laughs) things got a little too out of control with too much HugA.
2: Yeah, see, our our stories always just come full circle from the beginning to the end. Everything connects. Yeah, Yeah, and I think what I am craving most is routine, and that part of HugA too, of not feeling like every day is different. For sure. Which is how it's felt lately, like. No, I get to have time to have my morning routine and my evening routine and um, cherish those quiet times that start and end the day. So I would love to hear some of our listeners' favorite ways to huga, so that, you know, there may be some we want to implement as we head into this this winter season. And I'll be excited to hear how your hunts go.
1: Sounds good. We uh, have a song to share today, and this is one actually that you're
2: my Your kids are kids recommend. recommended.
1: So that's yeah. super fun.
2: So my my two high schoolers have been listening to this um artist, and I'm like, oh, I really like this. They're like, yeah, this would be a great one to share on the podcast.
1: Yeah. So he's he's kind of new and up and coming in the red dirt and Americana scene. His name's Dylan Gossett. The storytelling and visualization of a song are important to me, he says. I'm a singer songwriter at a core. All of these songs I write are completely my own. It feels more special to me because I'm writing about real experiences. I'm essentially playing a movie in my head and creating a story for the listener. Growing up in Austin, his mom worked as a teacher and his dad coached high school basketball. They also both shared music with Dylan as a kid. After discovering Ed Sheeran in middle school, he picked up a guitar. His first two lessons, in his words, didn't work out, so he taught himself via YouTube and thanks to tips from his big brother. In between listening to classics from Alan Jackson, George Strait, Journey, The Eagles, Scorpions, and Boston with his family, he immersed himself in the records by Turnpike Troubadours, Flatland Calvary, and Cody Johnson. So this is a song called Cole from Dylan Gossett.
0: I remember what you told me Said drinking was unholy So Lord, can you point me to the creek? And I still keep it with me Tucked under all the memories Your voice echoing throughout those trees covered in tar. Well, I'm still praying to the heavens and hoping for them sevens, but hope only gets a man so far away. This game
2: diamonds how the hell am I still cold I love the you know how what you read about his bio helps the song even make sense you know that he's has a story in his mind this movie he's watching and then he's putting it into words and music to tell that to the rest of us the listeners
1: yeah yeah he's got that down for sure and really matches up that's the thing I love about Americana and, and Red Dirt, especially, is it's it's not just a generic song that they're just trying to hit some general ideas or points. That you can tell they're thinking about it deeply and um, really emoting and putting emotion into their music.
2: And I I was listening to to kn- when we knew that he was self taught, yeah, and then listening to his guitar playing for sure and how beautiful that was, yeah. and also hearing who his um, inspiration, you know, as he was. Finding himself in his music and who he listened to that inspired him.
1: Yeah, that drive, you can see that chain um, to get the sound that they have. And then it's it, it's it. That is, you know, I talked about technology not being the best for some things. One of the things that is wonderful with TikTok and Instagram is a, a small artist with a very small following can have just a couple things hit, go viral, and blow up, and all of a sudden they have a career. Right. That was a lot harder. There was a lot more gatekeepers back in the day with record companies. You had to have a record executive find you, sign you, to a deal, promote you. You had to get out on the radio. They had to put a bunch of money behind you. And then you have this giant money to pay back before you can even make money. And now, I mean, you can really get things rolling. Sit
2: in your living room. (coughs) One of my favorite movies is Coal Miner's Daughter. I don't know if you ever saw that. Sissy Spacek plays Loretta Lynn. No. And I watched it as a kid. It was like one of our family movies we loved to watch. And it it shows Loretta and her husband and how she started out. You know, she's same thing. She got a guitar because he loved her voice. She would sing to the kids and she taught herself. And then they went and made a record and then drove to radio stations and tried to get them to play it. And I mean, the work that went into getting her career started. So yeah, it's a, it's a fun movie um, to kind of see the history of music.
1: Yeah. And we'll link to the song in the show notes like we always do. So you guys can check it out. And uh, I think Dylan's working on a new record here for 2023. So check that out as well. Awesome. All right. Thank you everyone.
2: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Cabin Cast. You can find details and more information in the show notes on our website at www.thecabincast.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you won't miss a single episode. Follow us on your favorite social media channels. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at The Cabin Cast. We'd also love to hear from you. We want to hear your getaway and cabin stories. For a chance to have your story featured on an upcoming episode, email us at getaway@thecabincast.com. Until next week, enjoy the journey.